to Let's Unpack That, your weekly podcast where this politically engaged queer millennial and his friends unpack topics at the top of our minds through the lens of anxiety, depression, politics, and everything in between. And tonight we are talking about holding Joe Biden, President Joe Biden, accountable, as well as Kamala Harris and every single member of his cabinet and the Senate Democrats and House Democrats that we just elected. Um, Obviously, uh, this is going to be an episode, I think, where we kind of like guess and speculate. I mean, Biden has only been president for about a week, but um, I'm really excited to see where our conversation goes, because I feel like this is going to be one of those important episodes that we come back to and talk about different promises. I mean, I think there's been a lot of like good content out there on the Internet about broken promises or promises that have changed and stuff. So I think it will be interesting uh, to kind of listen to this episode, hear what some of our thoughts are. Um, obviously, though, I cannot do this alone. Um, and I am happy to announce that we are back uh, with a, a full house. I think before we were like missing somebody. Um, and we also have a guest tonight. So uh, he's the friend that we love to bully mercilessly until he stops answering our text messages for 24 hours. And we all become extremely concerned about his health, well-being, sanity and choice of footwear. Kirk Wilson, welcome back to the podcast. I'm from my Crocs. <laughs> They're not in style and they never will be. I'm looking at them right now. Even she wishes she wasn't here tonight. The woman who actively is trying to steal this podcast and my Instagram followers for her own personal gain, Erica Ellis. You act like I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I know you can. Um, our next guest is the epitome of the colloquial business phrase, let's not reinvent the wheel. He's the straight white tween you can find at any GameStop in 1999 and 2020, Andrew Nagy. Welcome back to the pod. That may be the most accurate thing anyone has ever said about me. <laughs> I'm so proud of myself for that one. Like, <laughs> usually I'm stumbling to like write these, but I was very proud of that one. And we can't believe he's back after we held him hostage for three hours back in September. He's the youngest 35-year-old on TikTok, Conrad Benner. Welcome back. To <laughs> Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here and not to be scrolling on TikTok. <laughs> I was almost going to start with saying he's the youngest 35-year-old from Philadelphia who's uh, not from Philadelphia, but, you know, I, I wasn't sure if you've moved past that where people dragged you on the internet for not being from Philly. Oh, I was going to say, what are you talking about? Oh, no. <laughs> to set the record straight, I'm from Philadelphia for those listening. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's funny. It happens all the time. People will comment, oh, you're not even from Philly, and, you know, I am. Why did so, they say yeah. that? Certificate. Um, I think Philly has a lot. You know, I don't know. Every city's different, and I don't know. I've only ever lived here, but I think Philly has a offers. Um, Philly loves Philly, and there's a lot of credence to like being from Philly. And Philly has changed so much over the last 10, 15, 20 years that I think some of the folks who've been here their whole lives or been here for generations like kind of dismissed the views maybe per se of some of the new folks. But um, so like if you're coming in saying something or, you know, with my blog, particularly like documenting, you know, a huge segment of our, of our culture, art and culture with, you know, street art and public art. I don't know. Someone could just come and be like, you're doing this and you're not even from here. Right. Um, Philly. Yeah. I've always found that too. Like when you're in different meetings and stuff, like if you're from Philly, you can, I don't know, your opinions held up a little bit more. Interesting. You know, it's funny you say that because I have this coworker 
and everything I say, he'll be like, oh, here comes the Californian. And it's like, okay, Colton, like, fuck you. (laughs) Hope Colton's not listening. (laughs) Colton just like unsubscribed. (laughs) I would say fuck you to Colton's face and I do. So it's fine. (laughs) I mean, Philly's in this weird place where like, for decades, we weren't growing as a population. We were losing population. And there are cities like New York, Chicago, LA that are like melting pots. You know, people are kind of always moving there. But it's really only been the last 10 years or so that people have been moving to Philly, uh, thanks in large part due, our, due to our immigrant population, which is uh, always booming, which is great. Um, so, yeah, I think there's like a little, as the city changes a lot, there's always people, you know, who are a little more um, hesitant about new people. Let's say that was so nice. <laughs> <laughs> very politically correct. You're raising um, our rent. As I know. <laughs> and uh, so, speaking of you know politically correct, we're talking about uh, Joe Biden and holding him accountable tonight. Um, he's probably one of the most PC politicians I feel like we have um, for the most part, minus you know a couple of very problematic interviews that he gave during the primary. Um, but we started kind of we we brought this podcast back, I guess I would say after you know a, a month or so off in the fall, talking about like our sprint to the election and why we're excited to vote for Joe Biden or why we feel like we have to vote for Joe Biden. Um, and we did that with Conrad. So Conrad, we're super happy to have you back, um, and I'm super happy to have the whole fam back together. Um, We're going to talk through our headlines of some of the headlines you might have missed this week, and then we will jump right into holding Biden accountable. So um, in terms of headlines, um, there's a lot going on when it comes to uh, (laughs) Wall Street bets on Reddit and GameStop. And I'm just going to turn that over to Andrew, uh, because he is a retail investor. And uh, number one, I don't understand anything about like the stock market from that perspective, as Erica told me last night, if you have to ask, you probably shouldn't invest. And so, Andrew, I know that that's your headline. So I'm just going to set the stage for you. Um, I'd love to for you to unpack a little bit about what the fuck is going on on the Internet today. Yeah, I it's kind of awesome to see. Um, but at the same time, it's just like, can we can we get one week without some mind meltingly unprecedented event happening? Like, it seems like every week there's something like strange and historic going on. And this is like no different. Um, so obviously, the system is built by um, people with a ton of money and it's built for them. And then they break their own rules all the time and bend them. Um, and they... It, for the rest of us, it, we're supposed to invest in the system. But like when you grow up, like you don't get any advice in school. There's there's no classes about it in school. It's just so, sort of one of those things that if you're under a certain level, like you're just sort of left out of the system. But that's the system that we have. Like in this capitalist society, that's the way you make money. You can't just, especially now, you can't just get a job and make a salary and hope to retire comfortably. Um, so what ended up happening is the big money did what the big money does. And they basically bet against a company that is struggling and they're legitimately struggling. And they're hoping that that company goes, you know, as, as bankrupt as it possibly can go, basically, you know, that would be the ideal scenario um, or just loses as much value as possible. And they would make a lot of money off of that. 
it's predatory and it's just gambling. You know, it's not bringing any value into the system. So long story short, this, this investing um, forum on Reddit, uh, subreddit, um, noticed that this was happening, noticed that there was a lot of these short sellers out there that were betting that this, the GameStop, the company would go under and they were trying to make it happen by writing all these opinion pieces about it and going on like Jim Cramer, mad money and stuff like that. And saying that, you know, GameStop is dog shit. And they, you know, it's sort of like a, sort of legal market manipulation tactic on their yeah, part. Yeah, they're, they're trying to like swing it back, right? Yeah, like exactly. But but it's sort of in that gray area of we make the rules so we can kind of bend the rules and like all of them do it so nobody's going to call anybody else out on doing it. Um, <clears throat> so the people on Reddit said, hey, you know what? Fuck them, basically. Like we're going to go after them and we're going to do what's called a short squeeze, which in somebody's a short seller where they're betting a, a business is going to go under um, or go down at least um short a short squeeze is where people buy actually buy into the stock like if the stock is going to go down it's not a smart move to buy the stock but if everybody starts buying the stock it pushes the value of the stock up and Mm -hmm. it royally fucks the people who are short selling and that's what happened so i i saw the figure today that um the hedge fund the short sellers and the hedge funds that were short selling lost something close to 70 billion dollars um, in the last couple of days on on this bet that they made against GameStop. Um, and it's sort of, it's it's kind of ironic because one of the big players is Robinhood, the, the brokerage, and a lot of people use it. And just in the name itself, Robinhood, you know, stealing from the rich and giving to the poor, that was sort of the idea behind this app. And that's what's literally happening here is it's it's sort of like a, you know, people using the capitalist system for their advantage to mm-hmm. redistribute this wealth because they're the ones that are getting the wealth by buying up the stocks and then they, they'll be able to sell it and realize that profit. And this is freaking out the old big money. Like they're just losing their fucking minds. They locked out the trades today. That was the big story today is the trading was locked down on most of these um, brokerages and uh, and the trading was halted at various points. So and didn't, the people, didn't you say your like fidelity account was down for a bit this morning? It was yeah, market open. Um, I didn't have access to my account at all for um close to a half hour. Like my it didn't even register that my account was there. It just popped up an error that was like, you know, due to a high volume, we can't show you your account. And of course, there's all these tinfoil hats conspiracies that that was done on purpose and um that the hedge funds were basically telling the brokers because it's all this like it's this two-way system where money's flowing both ways and one hand washes the other um so they were you know the the tinfoil hat people are saying that it was the hedge funds were telling the brokers to shut down the trading and to limit the trading as much as possible basically so that they would have time to cover their positions and get out of their positions with less loss than they would um which is probably what happened you know whether or not that is actually true um personally i believe that's what is true but i don't know for sure um they certainly got out of their positions and were able to get away but now of course the good part about all this is this you know this is a form of protest literally i think um yeah 
And so will they still owe that money? Like that's a lot of money. Do they owe that? Is that real money? Yes. So that's that's how basically the way short selling works is so you're basically borrowing the stock, you immediately sell it, and then you're hoping the price goes down so you can rebuy the stock for lower, and then you give it back to the person that you borrowed it from and you pocket the difference. So if you bought it for 10 and the stock goes down to seven. And when you buy it back at seven and then you give it back to the person you borrowed it from, you made $3 of profit on this stock. But with short selling, theoretically, a stock's value can go up infinitely. Like there's, if, if you buy a stock and the business goes bankrupt, the only thing you owe is, you know, it going down to zero. It's not going to go lower than zero. But with short selling, the reason why it's so risky and it's it's the purest form of gambling in the stock market is because it can go up infinitely. So that's what the people on Reddit were trying to do. They were trying to make it go as high as possible to make these hedge funds owe as much as possible. Um, and they have to cover it. That money has to come from somewhere because those stocks exist out there and they were purchased and they changed hands and and now somebody has to pay for it. Are these am I correct in assuming that like the bad Wall Street's bad, let's say. Most of the people on Wall Street are bad. Most of yep. Wall Street's owned by rich people. Okay. Yep. Uh, and so, like, the bad people who made 2008 happen just got fucked over this week. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, yeah. And really, it was a similar situation where in 2008, you know, they were lending to people that didn't know what they were getting. They didn't understand that the, the loans were bad loans. And then they were repackaging those loans and they were selling them off to other investors. The other investors weren't doing due diligence to figure out what was in it. It was just this big cash cow. Everyone was making money, so nobody gave a shit. Um, it's kind of the same situation here where they're playing fast and loose with the rules and they're gambling, they're, it's speculation. And, you know, of course they say, oh, well, you know, we don't want the, the retail people, the regular Joes to do this because they're not smart like us. You don't have to be smart to do this because there's literally, there's no amount of like intelligence or business degree that's going to tell you whether this is going to happen or not. It's gambling. It's just straight up gambling. That's what this is. It's not, you know, like choosing a nice fund and like slowly putting your money into it over 20 years. Like this is just straight up gambling and um, they lost today basically, but they're trying to get out of it. And what will end up happening if they do get out of it is it's going to be once again, regular people who get screwed the hardest because there was certainly not enough. Um, there was not enough punishment for 2008 by a long shot. Um, and that's what I think is, I would concern me about this is that there's not going to be enough punishment from this now hopefully there will be because all kinds of different um congress people across the aisle are all paying attention to this and they all see this um and you know i think a lot of it has to do with the fact that they're all rich a lot of them and yeah. you know they're all in the market and this also threatens them the fact that a bunch of a whole group of random people can get together and and do something like this like you know, that puts a whole new paradigm on the market. And it's all because of the pandemic. Everybody's been sitting at home and they've been downloading, you know, these stock trading apps and the stock trading apps kind of gamify it and they give you free stock. I mean, ironically, one of the free stocks that Robinhood would give you when you downloaded the app for the first time is GameStop. 
That's, that's insane. That's one of the free. And again, the tinfoil hat people are saying maybe, maybe this was a whole like, you know, Robin Hood was in on this whole thing because they're funded in large part by Citadel, this huge firm. And um, Robin Hood trades with Citadel so that Citadel pays Robin Hood a certain amount of money for these trades. And then Citadel also owns and funds one of the hedge funds that had a gigantic short position in GameStop. So again, none of it's proven right now, but it certainly seems like a smoking gun that all these people are working together. And when it became clear that it's going to fuck all three of these entities very, very, very hard. They shut the trading down and you could only sell, which was insane. You know, I mean, if they really cared about market volatility, they would have just said you can't buy and you can't sell, but they still allowed selling because if people sold off their stocks, then the short sellers could pick up their stocks and cover their position. Not to mention they actually shorted more than hundred percent of the stocks that were available in the market. What's so interesting about this, and like I have been a proponent, like I am not necessarily a Bernie bro, but the one thing that Bernie Sanders has always took an active stance on was placing, levying a tax on stock market speculation trading, Mm -hmm. because for a huge um, hedge fund, that could be literally millions of dollars a second. And it would have been a 0.5 tax percent on it. Um, I think 0.5 on stocks, 0.1 on bonds, and like 0.005 on derivatives. But basic, basically, there, it's hard to know estimates because you have to understand how Wall Street reacts to it. But basically, it would have generated estimates up to $2.4 trillion in revenue. And the plan was to use that money for student loan forgiveness and to make public education free. And like, this is not, what frustrates me so much is we've done this before. In like the 1960s, we had taxes on Wall Street speculation, but they did away with it. I I wanna say, I don't think it really lasted that long. Like I wanna say it was a few years, but it's this concept of, okay, well for the regular person, Like I don't have an extensive portfolio, but say I have $10,000, I'm looking at like what, 50 bucks? Obviously not much for me, but for a major institution, that is a lot of money. Um, So it was kind of like, okay, well, for so many different reasons, we're in this student debt crisis. We, the, the, the American people bailed out the big corporations, big banks in 2008. And so the concept was, we bailed you out in 2008, you're going to bail us out now. And this was back in 2018. Right, right. Um, so it's like, I love this because I was, I was a finance major um, and I fucking hated investing. I think it's stupid because it is made up. It is completely generated by ideas when i got when i got to the investments class that's when i left my finance major and i switched (laughs) my major completely (laughs) this is fake and this doesn't make any sense and i just like can't (laughs) no it is drama queen (laughs) it's i think what's always gotten me is so many people are focused on how you know the stock market is doing 
that it completely ignores the reality of the fact that some people don't have that money for the stock market. Most people. Yeah, yeah. Like I, you know, I invest because I have the privilege to invest, but for a lot of people, you know, like I see this, I keep seeing like a whole bunch of bullshit floating around like, Oh, well, you know, instead of getting your nails done, why don't you go buy um, a share in, I don't know, whatever company. And it's like, no, like, people aren't getting their nails done, they're trying to eat. And there's this concept of you're not rich because you didn't invest. And that shouldn't be the case at all. Like, And we just don't teach people how to do it. You need to teach people young and it's mm -hmm. intentionally made as complicated and scary seeming as possible. And that's the narrative we're always hearing. Oh, it's these super smart hedge fund guys. Like they're, they deserve to be making a hundred million dollars per year you know, because they're so fucking smart. Like, 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 like literally, literally they, they can do this all day. <laughs> they're, they're literally gambling and they never beat the market over the long term. And like, th th it's just, it's again, just shutting the little guy out. Um, and again, you're, you're absolutely right. Like people just don't have the privilege to do it. Um, but they still feel the effects of this. Like everybody still deals with this speculation. Mm -hmm. This is how we have to fix this. And, you know, every, a lot of people are saying right now, oh, what the people did on Reddit is wrong. Again, it's a protest. Like sometimes protests turn violent. That's how you have to get people's attention. And that's what this was. And it's like, yeah, I mean, maybe people shouldn't be able to band together. We saw the chaos that, cr that created in the market. Like we're going to all feel that chaos. Like that's not necessarily a good thing thing but that proved the point that they were trying to make is that these hedge funds do this every single fucking day they all play with all of our money and what value are they are they you know bringing into the system like if walmart goes under there's 200,000 jobs that go away you know this is like 30 people in an office in a new york high rise like and all they do is extract billions and billions of dollars of value out of the system and move it around to other people. All they do, they're, they're just these money pumps that redistribute money to where rich people want it to go, basically. They're not bringing any value. So mm -hmm. who gives a fuck if they go under? Everyone's like wringing their hands right now. Oh, well, it's billions and billions of dollars in these funds. Who gives a fuck? Can you just say it? Who gives a fuck about, about the stock market? <laughs> like, I, know, I was like, come on. Who's going to do the Melania imitation? I like looked around and I was like, come on. I was waiting for Kirk to be quite honest. Honestly, yeah. this is just proof that we should all stop eating animals and eat the rich instead. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we jumped from that intellectual discussion. and like Cannibalism. To eat the rich, it's not cannibalism. Okay. Not even real people. But it's like it's it. But it, it it goes back to this like and again, my knowledge of this is what I saw on social media today. So like I like it was like AOC tweeted, "This is bullshit." Ted Cruz was like, "Yeah, hell yeah, AOC." And then AOC like tweeted back at him and was like, "You tried to murder me three weeks ago. Like, can you fucking not?" I know. And, and then it like just, it caused this like whole thing where like I was getting articles from like. Uh, people were sending me from like Fox News today, and they're like, "Look at what Fox is saying about the like the Reddit thing." And I was like, "Yeah, I know. Everyone's aligned that these people are dicks. Like, like everyone, everyone is like completely united here, and this is like a massive protest. But it's also one of the more complicated protests to like understand. I feel like for people, I mean, for me personally, of course. But it's it's this idea that 
all these people who tanked our economy in 2008 because of how reckless they were being, no one went to jail, right? Like no one faced any consequences. So the consequence was you're going to pay a tax when you do this type of speculation. And I think that that in a sense could dovetail into our Biden accountability conversation of what does Biden need to do and, and what regulations does he need to pass to fucking like control this shit a little bit. Like, I don't know. That just, it, it feels like that, like, Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders have been talking about this for forever, you know, like, like the progressive leaders of the Democratic Party have been saying that this will happen for forever. And and so it feels like it should be or it was going to happen for forever. So like, it feels like we need some sort of like, redirection here. Paul, you actually, like, squeeze in a little segue to my headline. Um, when you mentioned what happened three weeks ago with the insurrection. Um, and I think we're all so focused on, you know, the domestic terrorists and the Congress people, but, um, and like, I am not a Blue Lives Matter person. This is, it takes you like five seconds to figure that out. But um, as of, I believe it was today, the second officer related to the insurrection um, committed suicide, which I think is, like, I don't even know how to feel about that. Um, the amount of trauma that you would have to experience to have so many people disregard your life so blatantly and to kill one of your own, um, I think, is something that takes a huge toll on people mentally. Um, and clearly that took the ultimate toll on two officers. And I I truly think that all the people who say that they support Trump and all the people who are saying stop the steal and in the same breath, you know, not even the same breath, I'd say like back in June, we're saying blue lives matter because at the time it was just a counter to black lives matter should honestly, I think they have a special seat in hell um, to say that you support our officers and then to turn a blind eye when two officers take their own lives because of the actions that were inspired by a candidate that you still support, you still ha think has the right to sit in the highest office of the land. Um, you're not only a hypocrite, you are, you are quite honestly an absolutely despicable person. And I, it just, it upsets me that this is probably going to be something that isn't covered by Fox News, isn't covered by OAN, isn't covered by the people who are like, ooh, look at this Black officer who's a good person, or look at this officer who's handing popsicles out to little Black kids while he's shooting their older brothers. Um, it's just, they're going to turn a blind eye, blind eye to it because it doesn't fit their narrative. And I think that that is so telling of where we've gotten due to Trump's presence, where people aren't following a, they're not following their own narrative, they're following Trump's narrative and whatever aligns with what makes him look like the better person, they will align to it, they will stick to it and they will die by it. Um, and they're so willing to turn a blind eye to obvious problems and obvious things that they are responsible for that I, I I worry that this is just going to be it. Like, it's always going to be, oh, we're responsible for that, but not really because, you know, we're white. It's what it is. We are white people. That is not us. 
We do not cause officers to kill themselves. We do not, we are not terrorists. Terrorists are brown. Cop killers are black. This isn't us. And it is them. And I hope that someone picks up that news article and says like, wow, like what role did I have in this? And if not, I'll fucking find them and guilt, guilt trip them. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> you will be today. sending the article. I'm literally like reporting people I know who are at the insurrection to their jobs. Like, I don't give a fuck. I'm out for blood. <laughs> well, and Erica, like something you said about like, yeah, the hypocrisy is so interesting to me. Like these are folks generalized, whatever. We don't want to generalize, but like the folks who had Blue Lives Matter flags, there actually was a Blue Lives Matter flag at the Senate. Mm-hmm. At the um, so they're for law and order, except for when they're not, when they're creating disorder, right? It's yeah. the hypocrisy there. But something I was talking to my friend about too is like, I don't even understand what they're fighting for. So like when Obama, Obama's first few years, the right was about small government. You had whatever his name was, the Speaker of the House then, you know, all about, you know, closing the deficit. That was their big thing. She, I, you know, I think the left and Democrats could disagree with them, but at least they had a place that they were arguing from. Now the right, you know, the majority of Republicans are just around supporting Trump and pushing him forward. I literally don't know what they stand for at this point. Literally. Are they for small government? I don't think so. No. They they just were in, they, you know, were in power for how many years and they didn't act that way. Um, I heard another podcaster talk about, um, or actually it was someone I saw on TikTok, but they were talking about abortion, right? Like um, Roe v. Wade happened so many decades ago now and Republicans have been in charge plenty of times since then. If Republicans have truly wanted to ban abortion, there have been a number of times since Roe v. Wade where they had the White House and two the two branches of Congress. Um, they don't approach it because they like to use it as a as a tool to just scare people up. And uh, into get voting. people to vote. Yeah, and they, they, they just... They know they know that it's insanely unpopular to repeal Roe versus Wade, so they just will use it as a as a as a I don't know what the right word is, but it's exactly what you were saying. Conrad. It's a bargaining like, chip, is what it's a, it is, and it's yeah. Like I don't even know what the what the Republicans stand for now, and the fact that forty five of them just voted to to say that it was it's unconstitutional to um, convict Trump now is bananas because. If a president can do whatever they want after they lose election, then that sets an, a really dangerous precedent. You know, if yeah. the next bad person who's in there loses an election, they have two months to destroy the world and face zero consequences. If this is the precedent the Republicans want to send now, you know, they're supposed to be the law and order party. Let's hold, you know, let's like. hold the president to, to that standard. It took that out straight from Reagan and, you know, like, and the, Donald Trump reiterated it all throughout the summer and all through the convention. And we saw all these images with the Blue Lives Matter flag and we saw all these police officers and, you know, we saw like so many, so much pro- propaganda, you know, like so much propaganda of what that party claims they stand for. Um, when Trump himself, you know, like, pulled police funding at various points throughout his presidency, you know, um, when Trump himself, like, wouldn't sign a bill that gave aid to, like, local municipalities, which that would have went to the police, you know, and a variety of other places. But it's just like, there's no platform right now. Sorry, I want to bring it back to Biden, too. Like, we're this is where this conversation is going to end up. Like, I think there's so much talk about unity. Fuck that. I think what Biden has to do is say, like, we can't work. <laughs> the Republicans in Congress right now are 
are extremists, most of them, it seems like. If they're voting, again, not to convict the president after what he just did, um, they are maybe not people to work with. I think Biden could move forward by saying, like, I want unity in that. I want to speak to you, every American citizen. I want to pull you in, right? Like, in theory, there should be some large number of Republicans who want to jump ship because some large part of their party is uh, bananas and has no sort of moral compass and it's just kind of doing crazy stuff to support Trump. I'm not saying we move to the middle. I'm not saying we become more moderate. I'm saying we fight for the working class, push through our agenda, just push through everything like he's been doing, do executive orders. There should be a new bill passed every other day. Let's raise the minimum wage. Let's fight for universal health care. Let's free the, you know, the families in cages of the border. Let's, you know, all that stuff. Um, just bum rush it. And then um, we can, Biden can speak to the American people in that community, right? Like I'm fighting for you. Basically, I think Biden should explain to moderate Republicans why pushing for those things makes sense, right? Like why growing the middle class makes sense. Why having a government, right? We have all these enormous economic and systematic powers in this country. Why government needs to work as a force to balance that. Like what we just saw with Wall Street, how we started this conversation, like, there's so much money in the hands of so few that it needs to be spread out a little bit more. And maybe Biden is a person to do that, right? Like maybe moderate Republicans. I mean, you, I don't know. I watch the view from time to time. Cindy McCain or um, Megan McCain seems to be into him. So maybe Biden can pre- push progressive agendas while, you know, whispering sweet nothings to moderate Republicans about how the world's America is going to get better by growing the middle class. I don't know. I'm just kind of rambling now. No, but I think but but you hit on a couple points. Uh, Number one, great use of the word bum rush. I have not heard that word in so long. Number two, um, what we can do now, whether these things pass or don't pass, we can get Republicans on the record saying that they don't want to raise the minimum wage. We can get Republicans on the record to say that they don't want to expand and fund Medicare and Medicaid. We can get Republicans on the record to say that they don't want to change gun rights at all, um, even though all of these policies, regardless of party, are very popular. They may be some skeptics, right? Like the not even people in the middle, but you know, like people that are like mm, really like pretty much Trumpers, but not all the way there. Again, I don't even call them Republicans. I call them Trumpers because like that's to me what what they are because that's their platform is is reelecting him and his family. But at least if Biden can force some votes on some of these things, then that really opens the door for people to challenge these people when they're up for re-election. If you can say, this man doesn't care about the working class. The Republican Party has always said they're for the working class. Why did he vote against minimum wage? Why did he vote against, you know, like like uh, sufficient and affordable health care? Like why, you know, like all, all of these different policies that you can just kind of I go. I think that might be some insider baseball stuff. Like, look, the Republicans have been voting against their, you know, let's say working class and poor Republicans have been voting against their own interests for how many years now? Like, I don't know that saying like on the record is being those. I don't know. I think one thing, you know, I'm a 35 year old person now, maybe, I don't know how old you all are, but I remember the Obama years. Like I was 24 when Obama got elected, I was so hopeful. And it's not to say that I stepped away from being civically engaged, but um, I was, it seemed like a lot of the country did, right? And maybe I did too, to some extent. And for, we had two years where Obama had the Congress, uh, where Obama had Congress, House and the Senate. Um, and that's how we got Obamacare, right? But um, 
you know, we're in that situation again with Biden. We finally have both branches. I know that the Senate is only a majority rule. We don't have the filibuster proof majority, but we can do a lot, all the money stuff, right? We can do all the money stuff with the 51% majority. Um, and my thought is just looking back 10 years ago is why did Obama, why did we lose the house in 2010? Why was enthusiasm down so much? As best I can understand, like Obama really tried to do the the quote unquote right thing, right? He tried to appeal to Republicans. He tried that unity stuff. He tried to not, you know, scare the middle, you know, middle moderates by being too progressive. Um, and it didn't help, didn't make us win then. So like, why would we do that same thing now? I think we need to just get all this progressive stuff through, make the life of the regular working class person in this country better. We need to work to eliminate poverty. We need to affect, we need to fix people, change people's lives, right? And then we'll start winning, I think. Um, I still think there's a, it, it's a tough road to win anything in two years. Um, but I don't think it's like looking at report cards and saying they voted for this or they voted for that. I think if Biden can start changing what it's like on the ground here, mm -hmm. then maybe we could start winning. Yeah. And that's, that's survival checks. That's the, again, like let's release the children in, in cages of the border. Uh, he released the Muslim ban. Okay. But we need to do more stuff that's economic. Um, yeah. No, and I'm I'm with you in that like sort of like him attacking and going after the economic populace. I'm fucking worried about the moderate Democrats <laughs> that are yeah. like those. Those are my. Then that's why I say like if 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 nothing else, at least drum up the report card. You know, <laughs> and of course I I want the progressive policies passed, but I just I'm like if we if if we get fucking Joe Manchin from West Virginia and Kirsten Cinema from Arizona and uh, Mark Kelly, who's up for re-election, Raphael Warnock's going to be up for re-elections. Like four people who, like, we need them to say, yes, they're in on these certain issues. And we need them to, like, fucking deliver. Or it will look like Biden failed for the first two years because he couldn't pass anything. But it's like, it's... It, it, there's like no, I don't know. I'm uh, like, I'll start rambling too, because I'm, I'm, I've been very anti-moderate Democrats right now recently because <laughs> like, we do, we have such a limited window. We have such a limited window to like fucking do something. So like, we have to really be smart about what we do, I think. Um, but I know like, I don't know if that like segues into anyone else's headline, but we were talking about the platform of the Republican Party. And I just want to say that like if you are somebody who's listening to this podcast and you are not familiar with Marjorie Taylor Greene, who is probably the most conservative member of the House of Representatives right now, she's a QAnon supporter and QAnon believer. This woman is an absolute fucking train wreck and needs to be expelled. And it's because she literally is running around Washington, D.C., talking about George Soros, talking about how Democrats are trying to take away the Second Amendment rights. Number one, no, they aren't. Uh, Joe Biden will never do that because there are too many Democrats in the South that still want guns and the Midwest. But like, <laughs> like this, this woman is going on a tirade and she's becoming a hero, not just for QAnon, but for like every other conservative who's like QAnon light at this point. And she doesn't believe that Sandy Hook happened. She doesn't believe that um, what happened at like Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, that school in um, Florida, um, like the park, uh, the Parkland kids too. Like she doesn't, she doesn't believe that like these like actual events happened. And this is a person who has 
denying the fact that children are killed in schools. She's now sitting on the House Committee for Education. And I just, I think it's like really important that you like check in with those like fringe family members you have and just be like, just so you know, if you view this woman as a hero because she's like proud to carry her gun in DC, even though she's like not allowed, like, you need to you need to like reel your family members in. And like, I know I'll be like talking about QAnon more. We really want to do a QAnon episode um, because there's like so much contained within these like conspiracy theories that we've alluded to a lot. But like, th- this is what's happening, whether it's her, whether it's Lauren Boebert, Bobert, however you say her name, like, like these people are influencing whatever the platform is. And we don't know what the platform is. We've all sort of discussed because they have no proof that they have actually tried to implement the policies that they have repealing Obamacare. They got rid of one piece of Obamacare and never put forward their own legislation. Like we don't know what they want, but what we do know is that the loudest voices right now are like uh, people who are conspiracy theorists and Kevin McCarthy and Mitch McConnell are bending over backwards for these people to like make them happy. And we just need to like check in with the people in our lives who tend to believe these things. Um, you know, I have a couple family members who absolutely believe that like Joe Biden is a pedophile and like they believe this like as if they have proof. And so it's just important for all of us to check in. And I think Googling Marjorie Taylor Greene and the things that she believes in, the things that she has posted, she just went on a massive cleaning spree of her social media. She started deleting old posts and comments. And her excuse was a lot of people have managed my account from time to time. And she's going to get away with that. But like we need to hold like the people in our life in reality, in some form of reality. I know that that is like a big ask, but that's sort of my headline, my call to action, and also my fear. (laughs) (laughs) That was my headline, by the way, so. Wait, was it? Was it? (laughs) Yeah, Margie, yeah. Oh, no. I didn't think you would do it. I thought you were going to yell at me for doing it, actually, but I guess not. No, no. Did you see what the the White House reporter, uh, I forget what her name is, but she's like, she does the White House briefings, but she's, you know, a reporter brought up Marjorie, I don't even know her name, and the White House person just said, eh, I'm not going to talk about her in this room. I almost feel like that that's just what we need to do. Like, let's just ignore these crazy, crazy, crazies. And actually, Wait, just, the press I, secretary I, said that? Yeah. Jen Stasky oh. said Jen, that. Jen Stasky, yeah. fucking amazing. Um, but I think that's what I'm saying is, like, it feels so, like, I, I you know, people there's a huge section of the right that is just addicted to these charismatic personalities who will say all kinds of crazy stuff because the world to them is, is crazy and they need some crazy solution, some crazy answer to make it make sense for them. But, you know, it's hard to tell. I mean, this is social media and blogs and the podcasts like this are also new. It's hard to tell like what, how big is that population out there? I don't know. We know that 70 some million people voted for Trump. Okay. But how many people believe these conspiracy theories? How much do, time do we need to invest in like proving that they're not right? Like, couldn't we just put all of our effort into, again, like pushing legislation that would actually affect people's lives and just, I don't know, like, do we need to put gas on that flame? I don't it's know. so hard because I feel like if, say the government were to take an active stance to squashing this because it is dangerous, And I think what was really smart about QAnon is they were, they targeted the white woman who is in a pyramid scheme. (laughs) Baby daddy is probably cheating on her. 
like it's like they went for this very niche audience and and by niche I'm I truly do mean like most white women I know fell for it where they're like save the children save the children and you're like oh my god yeah like save the children um they even shared something that like a speech that Blake Lively made uh and they were like oh right like this is an this is like a slam dunk like obviously we need to save our children but then once you started to go into it it wasn't necessarily save our children. It was Hillary Clinton's eating babies. And literally, literally. It, yeah. Like they're so fucking slick with it. And if you suppress that, it looks like the government doesn't want to save children, which the Trump administration administration certainly didn't want to save children. <laughs> because if you look at at least like, if you look at like three policies, even ignoring that literal children in cages, there's so many policies that are, very detrimental to child development, child safety, child health care. Um, and so it's so hard because if you try to squash it, then you're only further, you know, f- putting fuel in the fire for that. Because it's like, ooh, the government's like, we don't like this even anymore, even though it is dangerous. And because the government's shutting it down, this proves that we're right. Like, we're fucking onto something. And we're going to crack the code and... Q is gonna descend from Quakertown, Pennsylvania. <laughs> hey, hey, don't, don't, don't tell the people what I'm up to. <laughs> Look, it, it's so perfectly constructed, just like you're saying, Erica. It, it is. It dovetails with all the other things, like abortion. You know, abortion is. Oh, you don't care about children and the nuclear family, and gay marriage is the same thing. You don't care about the nuclear family, and this is just that cranked up even further where you know it's pedophilia like what's one thing that every sane person agrees on pedophilia is bad and then it's like oh well you you don't believe in this thing well then are you okay with pedophiles then and it's the who's going to think of the children thing but again like we said in all these cases like conrad you were saying like they've had their chance to ban abortion and they have not so uh do they Donald Trump was hanging out with Jeffrey Epstein, the guy who yeah. clearly was doing some weird and stuff with underage women. Yeah. He's on or I shouldn't I'm clearly allegedly. I don't know what the rules are there. You like, know what? I mean who who's gonna come for us? But like Trump has time, Andrew. He's got all of his um his lawsuits to deal with. He's on record as saying Jeffrey Epstein likes young women in a winking, <laughs> winking way. Right. Like he literally said that. And and it's recorded in the annals of history for all time. Like exactly the hypocrisy that Erica started with this all, this all yeah, with. Yeah. Yeah. It's the perfect Trojan horse. It's like this this pedophilia thing and then of course on the surface everybody's going to say that's bad and they're going to want to hear more they're like really this is happening before you get under the surface and then suddenly they're you know torturing children to extract um adrenochrome from them yeah which that's the whole weirdest part about it i can't wait for this episode um I guess, Kirk, do you have another headline that you wanted to share? I could get, yeah, I could. I don't know enough about it. I do a bit, but like I think that Conrad and everyone else and you, Paul, and everyone might know more than I do. But um, I think it'd be, I know this is a, like a local to Philly thing, but I think it's starting to make national news. But the whole um, COVID situation happened in Philly with Philly fighting COVID. And the, um, that was awful. 
yeah um if anyone else wants to dive into it basically they caught the guy the ceo of philly fighting covid taking vaccines like putting them in his personal like for his friends yeah yeah which and what makes me so frustrated is the fact that like the big thing with the covid vaccine is there is a window in which you have to get that second dosage if not you're starting from the beginning and philly Mm -hmm. fighting covid was leading this huge effort initially it was testing and i don't appreciate that they just like stopped doing testing out of the blue like they didn't tell anyone that they were no longer doing testing like i follow them on social media i'm on their email distribution list and i wasn't aware um but their big thing was vaccination and now there are people who are kind of like my roommate included, they got vaccinated and now it's a matter of, <laughs> now it's a matter of how are they going to get that second dose in the right amount of time? So that like, that makes me so angry. And they like sent out some stupid um, public statement, but it didn't address that. It addressed them switching from, testing to 100% vaccine with no testing. The whole thing appears to be a massive failure of the Philadelphia government and like our city council Mm -hmm. and our mayor. Like they clearly hired these people for whatever reason to help distribute the vaccine, help do testing, whatever. What was the vetting process? Because also, like, this, the CEO was 22. And not that I'm, like, an ageist against young people, but, like, I don't care. Like, in, what, who, just let this kid out of college or however old he, how, whatever stage of life he might be. And he's 22. Like, I, He's 22. And, and like, how much could he know? Yeah. How, like, this is a very serious thing of vaccine distribution in one of the largest cities in the country. And... It's also a city that is like right in between two of the other larger cities of like DC and New York. Like, so like we are a hotspot for business, for travel, for people coming through. Like if Philly can't get its shit together, that impacts everybody else around us. And I just can't understand how and why like our fucking mayor and whoever else is involved with these decisions, whether it's the department of public health, I don't, I don't know. Like, they had all of us give this company our information and then all of a sudden the company like doesn't exist anymore because they're like basically full of frauds. So I don't know. I know we've ranted about, you know, Mayor Kenny on this podcast before. I was going to say, I was seconds away from saying, Mayor Kenny, I'm sorry to my family members and anyone who respects me who hears this. Mayor Kenny can suck my taint. That man Ah! is the... He's an idiot. He has no spine. He can't commit to anything. And he tries to play the middle, but he's so bad at playing the middle that he pisses everyone off. It is the only thing that me and some like 70 year old dude from South Philly completely agree on that Mayor Kenny is a terrible mayor. And I'm sending this podcast to him. I do not care. So my friend lives in his building and the amount of times this man has been exposed to COVID and then exposed the other residents to COVID is like completely ridiculous. Like he just is like a bumbling idiot, you know? I think 
Yeah, I think there's it's a, a story that's just breaking. So I think there's going to be an investigation to figure out exactly what happened. But I just want to, yeah, like co-sign what, what you all said about like, it's bananas that this kid was ever hired to do this. I mean, that kid didn't seem like he could have been hired to be like an intern at a marketing agency, let alone like in charge of the COVID stuff. Um, but I think to zoom out a bit, yeah, I think it's like a reflection on the Kenny administration. Like, I don't, I truly don't think he wants to be mayor. I don't know that he ever did. I think like some, some Dem in Philly was like, ah, it's your turn. You, you go do it. He ran. There wasn't a whole lot of competition. The one person fainted on the debate stage and then he became mayor. Um, and as things got tougher, he cared even less. You know, this is a mayor, I think that has zero vision. Like he came into office, you know, I remember this because one of the one of the criticisms of the Nutter administration, the previous mayor, was that he was really focused on building up Center City and investing in businesses and stuff like that. And you could we could argue that all day long. Like you could argue that that's what we needed to do at the time. But Kenny ran on sort of like the opposite position of he ran on uh, the mayor for the neighborhood. So he was going to invest in the neighborhoods, invest in parks, invest in public life, um, schools and all that stuff. And if that's what he ran on four years ago, it's not what he's done. I don't think he has any vision anymore. And to what Eric was saying with the no backbone, the other breaking news this week is that uh, uh, Rebecca Reinhardt, the city controller, came out with a report saying that investigating uh, the tear gassing incident, basically the, the worst case of human rights abuse uh, in the city of Philadelphia since the move bombing is how the, the inquirer put it. Um, Basically, the city, uh, the police commissioner went to the mayor, asked several times to tear gas people. He said no a couple times, and then his backbone shriveled, and he said sure. Um, so I don't think he wants to be mayor. I don't think he wants to make any decision. I think he just wants to pass the buck, pass the buck, pass the buck. It's completely ridiculous, and now people are saying that he's going to, you know, whether it's run against Tom Wolf or run for, uh, you know, uh, what's-his-face's seat. Um, in the Senate, um, Pat Can Toomey. Yeah. I mean, uh, I hope not. Have a political career. Erica just said it. Like yeah. the one thing everyone in the city agrees on, everyone, everyone is that he's a shitty mayor. There's, you know, in the in the part of South Philly that um, I think is Blue Lives Matter. There's a big Kenny sign. Kenny's the worst mayor ever. You know, he's not liked anywhere. That's amazing. And this isn't for anyone listening. I don't know who listens to this somewhere. I know that like mayors have a tough job because everything kind of gets blamed on them. And like in in my whole life in Philly, like you always kind of dislike the mayor a little bit. Oh, they could be doing better. You know, Nutter tried to shut down libraries and oh my God, we were going to war with him. And it was this whole thing. This isn't that. This isn't like some normal, oh, the mayor's not doing a good job. This is like, this mayor should not be in office. He, you know, uh, an editor at Philadelphia Magazine today called for his resignation yet again. Like, he is terrible. Like, objectively. On a historic level, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Quite frankly. How many times do you want to the national press all because of the way our mayor is? Sorry. No, you're good. I w- well, I was just going to say, like, I know that the mayor's resignation is being demanded for just because I follow Conrad. But you know, like, I just see it. it's like it's like every fucking month there's a reason that I'm like, why, why, why are you here? <laughs> like, why? I know like this. If he resigns, I think the city council president will become mayor. And that's Daryl Clark, another person who I don't has been in city council for decades. Like, I don't know that he necessarily has a vision. He also. I don't think that he would be excited to be mayor or like want to be mayor anyway. So it's like, I don't know what the perfect solution is. I almost wish he could just resign and we could have another election and then 
Helen Gamma, Rebecca Reinhardt, or someone else could be mayor. Yeah. I'm running. <laughs> me, me, no. I mean, 50 years, I'm dead. It would literally, it would take them five seconds to figure out like 3,000 reasons why I'd be a terrible person to be mayor. Yeah. Well, cool. I, I think that wraps our, our headline section. So in terms of talking about Biden accountability, um, I, I think it is a thing that we're all trying to figure out. And there has been a lot of, I would feel like, I I at least feel it like mockery on from like the the far far left um at least that I've seen of like yeah hold Biden accountable like we're ever going to be able to do that and like I don't know like I think there's an element of truth to that but there's also an element of like what are we just going to do like sit up sit down give up like that's not us either right we're not that party um so when we talk about like Biden accountability, I think it could mean different things to all of us. And like, we did get some questions from people like via Instagram, but like, I think we're all going to go about Biden accountability in our own way and like move our audiences in the own way. And whether your audience is hundred thousand people or whether it's, you know, your five of your closest friends, like just different sort of conversations. I think that we have when we talk about protests, when we talk about petitions, when we talk about all these different things. Um, and Conrad, I know you've been working on a campaign right now um, with mural arts in Philly and a couple other artists. So I'd love for you to talk about sort of your Biden accountability view at this point and some of the work that you've been doing right now. Sure. So after the announcement was made that Biden won in November, um, I had a Phone, a regularly scheduled phone call with Jane Golden of Mural Arts to talk about another project. And I brought this idea up to her, you know, this idea that I've noticed more and more signs in people's windows, right? Like after the protests of last summer, after the Black Lives Matter protests, and after the rainbows that were in everyone's windows after COVID started last March that were meant to inspire togetherness and unity, and more and more campaign signs as we had arguably the most contentious campaign year of our lifetimes. We say that every time, but it continues to be true. Um, All of that mixed with the fact that we're isolated in our homes, right? We don't have a lot of places to speak aside from online and, you know, people were texting. So our windows really became this like platform, this, this billboard that you could curate. And I don't know what it's like in your neighborhoods, but anywhere I'm walking in Philly, you don't have to walk far to run into another home with six different signs in the window, you know, impeach Trump and Black Lives Matter and raise the minimum wage. Um, and so I asked Jane if she'd be interested in sponsoring a project like that. And she said, yeah. So we brought on 10 local artists um, and I just asked them, I said, you know, what are the things you're hoping Biden works on? Um, I gave them the resources to review his campaign platforms. Um, so some artists went that route to say, you know, my minimum for Joe is to at least do what you ran on. Um, so there is an artist who worked on um, economic justice, uh, for uh, black and brown communities who have significantly lower rates of ownership of small businesses here in the country. Um, And she pulled a handful of the policies that Biden ran on and said, do that, at least do that, right? Because it would be a good start. Um, And then there were artists like um, Derek Jones, who uh, we were talking about healthcare and how Biden ran on public option and he was for universal healthcare like me. 
Um, and he decided to create a poster that would push uh, Joe Biden. Um, so there's 10 posters, 10 di different issues. They, rare, they uh, vary in range from, again, things Joe Biden ran on and things we want to push him on. Um, but the idea is they're all things that he could accomplish or make significant uh, run on in the first 100 days. And the first 100 days are so important because that's when you know the agenda is set and that's when the kind of the tone is set. And that's when we still have all this energy, right? Like I keep bringing up Obama, but you know, I was 24 when Obama got elected. And I think a lot of us just expected him to be able to do everything, right? And one person can't, right? Like we have to have constant pressure. Uh, on the White House, on the Congress, um, to get our shit done. We put him there. Now he's got to work for us. I love it. I like it. To me, one. I mean, the like, the designs like of the posters are so cool. Um, you know, the individual artists like you like, uh, and, and I know that like the, this is like my like sort of like non-art background talking about art, but like you see different like personalities sort of like infused in each of the different posters. Um, and like, there's some that I found like resonated with me more, you know, than others. And there's things that like, I really care about. And I just thought like, I like, we don't have a place where if we hung it, people would see it in our apartment, but like, it would just be for us. But um, even digitally, just like little things that we can do. I love the idea of like just kind of protest via art because um, there's a variety of art forms, obviously, that are protest based. I mean, um, obviously, like we all saw so much of that um, this summer, but also for like years, especially like driving through Philly or doing like any type of mural or, you know, like street art tour in Philly. There's so much that like shows the history of like what Philly um has been um could be what like we fought for i i love it and it like makes me excited because it's not i guess it's not something that it's not something that i thought about when i thought about accountability because like mine is much probably closer to the internet whether it be a, a petition or a letter writing campaign or phone calls or a phone bank you know like but those signs this summer, I think like what you were saying, Conrad, like they moved people, like they made other people feel like it was okay to say black lives matter, which we, a lot of people outside of Philadelphia hadn't seen those signs before in that way, or maybe just on such a large scale, but like it kind of like the art, I feel like was like an invitation in a way to kind of participate in, in protests. And I love the idea of like continuing the energy of like what the art brought. There's always so much like fun, you know, like illustrations and cartoons and, and art and photography, you know, um, that like exists like right before the election. And I like, I love that it's a way to sort of like extend it. So I know you've been like posting about it a little while and I know I'm like, I, the artists are, are awesome. I don't know if there are like ways that people who don't live in Philly can participate. Um, but I'd love for you to like share oh that. Yeah, I mean, not all of the posters are about the federal government. So you, if you live in the U S or if you live outside of the U S you can download these posters. They speak to issues that Biden could address that would affect, you know, huge portions of this country's lives. Um, and to your point, yeah, social media is important and you can share any of the files on the social media too, but it is, you know, the algorithms pick and choose who gets to see our content, who, who ends up following us. Um, and so, yeah, putting it in your window at home, you know, you might have neighbors who think differently or neighbors who haven't come across the idea that it's time for a $15 minimum wage or that we really could fight for universal health care um, or any of the other, any of the number of other issues our artists talk about. So, um, and yeah, and I think just, I'm actually just reflecting on this now on this podcast, but like, um, 
you know, Obey made a hope poster for Obama during the campaign, right? And this is like the reverse of that. Like, I wasn't a huge Biden supporter. Like, I kind of voted for him because that's who we and that was our choice in the general. Okay. Right. I'm excited to make art now, you know, not to get him elected, but even though I did do my best to get him, you know, do all, like, I was on this podcast. Um, but I'm excited now to use art and to use social media and to use the public space as pressures to get him to actually do stuff. And the last thing I'll say there too is, you know, posting your window is really valuable, especially in a city like Philadelphia that's super walkable, really any city that's walkable. Um, advertisers know this, right? That's why we have bus shelter ads. That's why we have ads on the public in the public space. We have billboard ads all around the city. Um, so don't think it doesn't have an effect. You know, if people see keep seeing $15 minimum wage signs on their walk to work, it'll seep in. And uh, if they, even if they don't agree with that opinion to be, to, uh, to begin with, like maybe over time, they start to realize that it's something they could investigate in or have their minds or hearts open to a bit more. And that's for all the issues that we raise. And 10 just to start, right? Like, I think I'm hoping that, you know, if you like this project or you think we missed something, make your own poster, right? Like um, use the paper and crayon and put something in your window. It's all about just continuing to shout from the rooftops that, you know, the work is not done. I also think it's so to your point, Paul, too. Like, I think, you know, when you see this, I think then, and you, and if you, you see this in someone's window and you think it, either you think differently or you thought about this and you, or you, you believe this, but don't have, don't think about it and reminds you about it because, you know, when most people elect a president and then don't think about it for four more years, so they don't think about really what they're doing. They don't think they don't really, they just assume they're, they're doing what they said they were doing. And it's, I think more people are more. Yeah. Right are more yeah. tuned in now, but, but seeing that, I think remind people. And then also maybe that gets someone to go online and write a petition or email um, their email, um, their leaders, you know what I mean? So to do other things to, to take that next step. Um, but yeah, the, the, I think it is interesting Connor, the, that you made about the windows because I remember like the rainbows, I live in South Philly and like every rain, every single, like literally every single window had one. It's almost like the new bumper sticker on your car because no one, no one was moving physically. So it's yeah. all at your house. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think it really is impactful and I've seen, I still see it to this day. Um, people aren't taking them down. Um, so I think it'll be a really great, nice addition. And, um, I think it's, it's, it's one way to keep, keep, keep people reminded constantly that, you know, we need to hold these people accountable or him accountable. And to the rainbow point too, like it does through their soul, right? Like I think seeing messages in the public space that reflect your values and your hopes and dreams for, you know, the world are, you know, things that can excite you in ways that maybe are unexpected, right? The butterfly effect is real in a sense. So like, even if you are someone who already believes $15 should be the minimum wage or that we should free the families of the border or increase vaccine production, whatever, like even if you already believe that stuff, seeing signs in your neighborhood and on your block over and over again, maybe that fills your heart with a little bit more joy and you are able to go home and spend an hour doing, you know, calling your senators or something, you know, it, it, it engages you and excite you a little bit more. Um, Cause that's to hold people accountable. When we built the mural arts website where you're able to download these posters for free, you can print them at home or you can send them to a printer. you know, we use fireball printing here in Philly. If you want to get poster sizes of them, anywhere you live, you'll be able to get these printed in any kind of form you want, uh, bigger, thicker paper, whatever. But also on the mural arts website, we have how you can contact your senators, how you can contact your representatives in the house. Um, and even how you can contact Joe Biden's White House. Um, I'm lucky enough now to have interviewed a number of politicians, Helen Gim, Rebecca Reinhardt, and over and over again, I hear from these politicians that these calls really do help. 
Um, they might miss a lot of tweets. They might miss a lot of comments on social media. But when you call a senator or when you call a representative or when you call a mayor, it's recorded in a very different way. Um, and it does get back to them. So set up a weekly calendar invite, you know, call your senators and your representatives every single week and say, hey, here are five things I give a shit about. Where are you at progressing these issues? Where, where are you on raising the minimum wage? Where are you on this, that, and the other thing, right? Like ask them questions like that. And even if you just get a receptionist um, or it goes to their voicemail, it's recorded in a really powerful way uh, and keep doing it, keep it up. Yeah, I love that. It's um, it's it kind of been exciting to kind of challenge um, some of our politicians on uh, what was going on with uh, Armenia and Azerbaijan. But like, I emailed Madeline Dean and uh, you know, um, uh, Bob Casey about um, what was going on there, and I got responses from them. And like, I did not expect that I would get a response around an international conflict. And they said, like, we get it. You're frustrated. Here's kind of what we think. Here's this bill that I signed on for. This is what I believe. And like, it didn't feel like it was a sort of generic response that you would get when it's like a massive petition, right? Like they, they get back to you like instantly because they know that like the issue is, is sort of like hot there. But like, I, I kind of think that's like, it's another way to like engage with our leaders that pushes them, whether it's a voicemail, whether it's an email campaign. I think that those things are like hugely important. Um, you know, I guess, uh, Andrew, I'll ask you in terms of like Biden accountability, um, what some of your, you know, initial thoughts are. You're also somebody, you know, who works in the creative space too. Um, you know, I don't know that you'll be, uh, doing any sort of, um, uh, well, maybe I, I will ask you to do some, but I don't know if you have like any kind of perspective on uh, what you could do with like video even or what you could do, you know, with like branding or or anything like that or just other things that you might, you know, talk about. Yeah, I, I think, um, well, art's a very powerful thing. Um, and especially now more so than ever before, video is a way that people consume information. Um, they don't want to read they just want to watch something. And I totally get that. Like, you know, my ADHD ass is hundred percent that way. In terms of keeping him accountable, I think we just can't let him hide. I mean, I think that's the thing, you know, for 40 years he, he was in office and, you know, it's, I've said it repeatedly. It's laughable. Anybody would consider him a leftist or far left, like people on the right, like to say those things to scare people. And, you know, he's not, I mean, moderate, moderate's a soft term for him. And obviously he's changed a lot, but we have to hold him accountable to those changes. And he's certainly done a lot in the last week and made a lot of headlines and that's good. But again, we can't just let them be headlines. Um, I think Conrad said it best. Um, we started out this podcast by talking about this whole Wall Street thing and how the system is stacked against us. And everything is is connected back to that, those, those core issues, core issues of racism, core issues of sexism, and core issues of classism. Like, those are the major issues. It, it's really us versus them like the reason QAnon exists is because those people are feeling frustrated and left out in the cold and disenfranchised that's why they elected donald trump and i 100 percent understand that and that is why they're subscribing to this theory because they you know it, look at those people in the capitol none of those people were people that 
you know, except for the one woman who flew one on a private jet with her family, like none of them are, are tooling around on in a yacht on a weekend. You know, they're in a beat up old fishing boat on their uncle's pond kind of thing. Like we're all kind of the same at that level. And um, I think if, if some of these changes do start happening that like Conrad was alluding to earlier, like that will, start bringing us more together sort of implicitly without having to like ram it down people's throats. You just make these changes. And suddenly if, if you remove some of those problems from the system, then there will be unity because that's, what's causing the division. Um, And that's what we have the opportunity to do here. And that's why Trump drove everybody apart is it was all about, it was furthering that classism of just tearing everything apart by giving as much wealth and power to all the cronies and all the buddies. And the rest of us are left out in the cold fighting for the scraps. Um, and unfortunately we don't have a huge loud voice. And the only thing that we can do is, you know, I think tell people what you're about, what you feel. You can't just like, vote once every two or four years and then not do anything in between. Um, and you, you have to, if you have money that you can give away, um, you have to support causes. And um, I mean, my whole town was festooned with Trump paraphernalia for four years. You know, that's why something like mule arts is so great because we don't really do that on the left as much or more on the left-leaning side of things like we have to start doing that you know it has to be more visible and then the only way that we can really affect change is to make those phone calls and you know do things like the whole like what we saw on wall street like they're more protesting basically in one form or fashion or another that's the only thing that gets a response you know and we could have debates for forever about what's the right type of protesting the fact is there isn't the right type of protesting the people that are telling you it isn't right or the ones that don't want to get protested against yeah exactly and i you hit a couple things there andrew that like really resonated with me number one i think um we're not a party that necessarily has to be or, or not we're not a party that is always i would say like visible from like a art and public space perspective in a lot of places i think in in cities you might see it more frequently um but you're right like in our neighborhoods like the louder people are the the republicans but also like i just from like an organizing perspective like imagine if and I don't want to go here on this particular podcast. Imagine if Republicans had held Trump accountable to the promises that he made during his campaign. Thank God they didn't. Thank God they were so focused on defending every single action that he did that they were not pushing him to watching Erica scream at the cat. Whether um, they were, <laughs> I like imagine if Republicans had been pushing Trump, like finish the wall, finish the wall, finish right. the wall. And they had posters of finish the wall. And imagine if they had repeal Obamacare. What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? No, but like they're such a party of like blame that like rather than take ownership that their politician couldn't get certain things done, even with a full majority, like we would be in a very different country right now, you know? And so it feels extremely important for us to, to, to protest. Like 
fucking Republicans don't have fucking phone banks. They don't have text banks. They don't have, they have, you know, like Russia infiltration that like texts Andrew because of his, his zip code that he gets, <laughs> but like, they don't have the organizing, organizing power that we have. They don't have the artistic expression that we have because hanging a pair of metal balls from a truck and putting a Trump flag right on top of it is like, that's not <laughs> one that's an art. I mean, I guess somebody designed the flag, but like, that's <laughs> not, you know, that's like just, screaming so i just uh you know and in, in my mind it's um i don't know like it just i was just while you were talking about it's just like imagine the opposite side but kirk i think you were going to say something so i, I will I'm- yeah well because you said blank i i really do want like who do they it's funny because like when when like the when his um time came up this month or whenever you know is it still the same month yes this month inauguration um there was always look backs and stuff he didn't do and it was like 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 from like the left side, like, haha, I didn't do this. But I was like, well, it's, it's great that I didn't do this actually. Like, I'm not going to like shame it for not happening. But then I wonder, does the right, like, who do they blame on why he couldn't get the wall done? Like, do they, do they blame people? Like, it, cause it's a really weird thing to blame when you like, he, I think, they think, it got I think there, some of them are that delusional that, that, they, that it happened. Know, Trump said, oh, there's more wall than ever. And it's like, well, yeah, a lot of that was already being built before you even came into office. A lot of those funds were already put over there. Either way, you ran on build the entire wall over the cross the border and have Mexico pay for it. Mexico didn't pay for anything, and that wall, you know, didn't. across the entire border never got built. It was a replacement. It was a replacement yeah. wall with three additional miles. <laughs> I want to add to you just before I forget too. Like, um, I think you know, I love the posters, obviously, um, as a way to you know use the quasi public space to reflect your values and maybe keep momentum up. Um, I pray that the Democrats learn from what they did, what they didn't do 10 years ago and they don't go slow. They go really fast and they just get stuff done, everything they possibly can done, done. And then I think we need to do, I think what I've learned really through the year of 2020 was these big protests in the public space change things, right? Like for a decade, we were trying to get the Rizzo statue out of uh, across from City Hall. Activists were trying to do that for a decade. And it took a really big protest, a huge one, the biggest one maybe in our city's history. And all of the excuses for why it couldn't come down immediately went out the window and it was taken out over the over the course of the night. And there are some examples now, it's been a minute, so my brain's a little fuzzy, but there are some examples too of like LA and New York shifting some money from the police departments to other areas in the city budget. So protests work. And I think, you know, who knows, right? It's up to the organizers. I'm going to follow their lead. But, you know, if the Parkland kids do another March for Your Lives, um, if maybe the Black Lives Matter March becomes a yearly summer June 1st event or something, you know, where we all go to D.C. or we all march in our own cities and we continue to fight for all of the things that the activists and the organizational leaders at that point are asking us to, you know, push for. Uh, Whether it's continued police reform, which will probably be a thing for a minute, um, police budget reform, in addition to all other things. Um, Yeah, I think those protests do a lot. And we're lucky that we're, most Democrats live in big cities. So many of us live really close to DC. We could do these big protests, peaceful protests. We're not gonna storm the Capitol, but you know, a million of us on the mall, you know, speaking our truth and, and holding up signs and asking our representatives to represent us, I think is powerful and it does create change. Well, one, I also think, um, you know, just as Conrad, you were saying that around like, what do we do every year in June now, you know, to bring people together um, to talk about like black lives. I mean, the queer movement 
copied their movement exactly from like the black freedom movement. So how can we as queer people ensure that part of our pride, um, if we have pride in 2021 is Black Lives Matter protests, or it's, you know, racial injustice, a protest for for racial justice or something like that. Like, how can we weave that into what we already are doing that month? We're already organizing that month, you know, to make huge statements when we owe most of our success, uh, most of our freedoms to the Black freedom movement. So I, I feel like it's a, it's a huge opportunity for us to, um, you know, organize our own community in, in some way. Um, but Erica, I do want to kind of turn it over to you too, for your thoughts on, on Biden accountability. Yeah. I think for me, the most important thing is to also hold yourself and your friends accountable in the sense that if we, if it's just this select few that's always been politically engaged or just tends to have the ability to be more politically engaged. It doesn't represent the people who truly need it. Um, I think there's two sides to each coin. So it's a privilege to be able to be, you know, so politically engaged that you're writing senators, you have your finger on the pulse because that requires time and some people don't have time. Um, and then on the flip side, to be completely apolitical, um, for some people is a privilege because it means that you are not affected by policies. It doesn't matter who's in office. You're still going to have a roof over your head. You're still going to have income stability. Um, and you're still going to have the same rights that you've maintained your whole life, if not more. Uh, so I think it's important for us, especially, you know, I mean, you guys are like old as shit, but... <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me, Conrad actually makes me look younger, so. <laughs> not look, not look younger, but like I, like I am younger. Oh my God. <laughs> Jesus, Kirk. Erica's 25, does she think she can be all young? Yeah, Erica's a, Erica is literally youth. Erica is Gen okay. Z. You see this skin? This is moisturizer. How old are you all? You aren't uh, Gen Z. I'm 20, I'm 29. Yeah. Okay. I'm 28. I'm 30. And, oh my God, I'm so old. Okay, yeah. And I'm 25. I'm like a cute, sprightly one. Basically, <laughs> yeah. Wait, that's actually wild that there's 10 years between Eric and Conrad. I know, that's so funny. I yeah. feel like it. And like, that's a, that's a comment to both of you. Like, I feel like, it, I don't know. Well, well and Eric, Eric, the, the Eric is mature. No, I just think that I like, I don't know. I think that we should do a whole unpacking age. I think there's such a weird thing around age. I'd, I've always thought this, but like yeah. getting, being in my twenties or like late twenties now, I just, I don't know. I, I can talk to like Conrad on my own or talk to Eric on my own and not like feel like, oh, I'm talking to a 25 year old or I'm talking to a 35 year old. Right. It's like, yeah. it's it's not that wild. It is different, obviously, but like also it's not. Really you know, cause it, it's, yeah. Like we're, we're, we're on here talking about politics, like, and we have a sense of humor. It's like, you know, age is just a number and once you get past like 24 i feel like you're well adults yeah yeah like, every, everyone's like, my best friend's 45 like i like it's just it's <laughs> like every, literally the house you live in didn't you say you bought that house last time we were on yes yeah i'm not a homeowner like you're more <laughs> of an adult than me. <laughs> i literally just honestly i think it's because i'm so controlling that if i don't own the home that i live in i will literally lose my mind yeah, and we all I'm have really different timelines. Day. 
I literally can't wait to move in with you, Erica, and just destroy your entire home. I will literally... What do you think this fucking cat is for? <laughs> and Erica, you said, like, made me think about, like, what I saw a lot on social media this past summer, which was, like, to your point, like, it takes time to, like, write an email and to call the senator and stuff. And that's why I really love... There were so many organizers this past summer saying, like, I understand that this takes time. Here's a script. If you care about this issue, here's a script for it. And yes, it still takes a few minutes to call, wait on hold, say the thing, Mm -hmm. but it's less time than to like write up your own script. And um, yeah, like I would agree with you, Erica, like if you're someone who has, who's passionate about an issue, maybe you make it and and you have the time and privilege to, to write an email or to write a copy of what you would say when you call, do that, write it, share it with your friends, screen cap it, put it on your social media and say like, Hey, if you also care about this issue, here are the phone numbers to call. Here's the email, copy and paste this, you know, change it wherever you might want to, but uh, I'll try to make it easier for you as possible. Yeah. And I think that's truly the big thing is you have to make politics for everyone, not just the people that it works for. And that's, what's going to make the difference where I think, you know, a lot of Republicans still felt so impassioned to be active, but they didn't have to be active, right? Like like we said earlier, like Republicans, Republicans tend to ask for forgiveness, not permission, and Democrats historically have been the opposite. So I think that they don't necessarily have to worry about, you know, like, oh, is this going to happen? It's like, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. It's not a big deal. But for us, a lot of things that the left tends to focus on truly does impact the life of people who are in incredibly stressful situations. They're vulnerable. And so, you know, a border, a border wall doesn't feed a family of four, but increasing minimum wage does. So it's a matter of, you also have to look at like the importance of the policy Like, I can completely understand not to use anything Ted Cruz ever says, but like the Paris over Pittsburgh thing, which is obviously just. I want to pray for Ted Cruz. (laughs) But it's this idea of he hits on something important in that why should we worry about something that's so big when there are poor people in Pittsburgh, where there are people who you know, once the manufacturing jobs left Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh fell with it. And so you have to understand that as well. You have to know your audience. You have to understand the people that you're talking to. I have family who, quite frankly, the environment is not at the top of their mind, but having access to healthcare is, having an access to quality healthcare, because my family is from Louisiana and there's Nothing great that happens in Louisiana and healthcare is certainly not one of them. Um, So I think really understand your audience. And again, we have time, we have the privilege to do it and make it something that they can get involved in too. Because I can't just say, hey, I want you to hold Biden accountable because to them it's like, why? Like, why is that? I have 35 things to do today. Yeah, like if I can vote for him. Yeah. (laughs) But it is that's that's one of the biggest things that like I've learned on on my own like uh, platform, which I know like we haven't really 
talked about this as like a podcast. We talked about this being like our final podcast of like what the fuck happens to, you know, to like the Paul Warren account. Like, what do we do, you know, next? And like, to me, it's like I have asked people to sign petitions. I've shared things. Thank God. Like I have the ability to like swipe up now, you know, one of my big things like that I'm working on with a bunch of other influencers is like, let's give everybody swipe up access, you know, like again, we're, we're going to have to find a way to like monitor, moderate that and like make sure that it's like all good because like we don't want like rampant like misinformation, but like everybody should have the ability to share different things more easily. You know, why can't we have, swipe up links in posts why can't the posts be sort of like hyperlinked in some fashion like just little things like that that i think like we can work on too as like people with platforms but also like from this like podcast perspective it's like the one of the best things i did was like we were talking about the insurrection we were talking about the stimulus checks and i was like oh I can create a Google form, make that publicly or Google Drive document, make that publicly available to everyone. I have the writing skills because that's what I do for my day job. And then I have the ability and time uh, to basically list out all the senators that we should contact for these various things. And it took me, I don't know, 20 minutes, but like 500 people clicked on that link, you know, and 500 people for a platform like mine, that's a huge number. You know, usually I see things like 50, 60, 70. And I was like, Oh my God, like we can, like, we can do this and we can like take advantage of this and we can like, you know, like we can like change things, you know, if we all sort of like use our platforms in various ways. So I think there's ways to like one, make the mediums that we use, whether it be a podcast or, or, you know, something like a more visual, like Instagram, part of the accountability movement, but also like different things just like that we can create for other people because I do have that time. I do have that privilege and I have that ability to do it. And it doesn't take all that long, you know, for me to do it. And even like the, the, the coolest thing is like when like even just one person takes an action and they're like, I never cared about politics. I never sent a petition. I never called a Senator. I never emailed somebody before, but now I do it like once a week on the same $2,000 stimulus check issue. And I'm like, fuck yeah. Like keep applying that pressure, you know, and then they'll engage with other stuff too. Like we all have the ability to do that, whether it's one friend or, you know, a hundred friends, like we can, we can find ways to do it. And I just like, that's what excites me about the opportunity that we don't have the politician that we want, but we can try to make him a politician that we like a little bit more than we did when we were, you know, realizing the results of the primary. And Uh, my big thing is like, we have to stop making politics taboo. Like you can't, like, I am also someone who's in the same breath says we stop have to, we have to stop being so like, we have to start talking about how much money we make. Like, Let's have those discussions because it truly does lead to income equality. But when we keep saying, like, don't talk about that, that's inappropriate, you're suppressing an important conversation. And we need to get over that. If someone in your life says, you know, I like hanging out with you, but lately you've been talking about politics too much and it's getting annoying, they don't need to be in your life. Cut them out. It's 2021. Choose violence. I do every day. (laughs) (laughs) Also, when someone someone says politics to me, I'm like, what do you mean by politics? Because politics is just life. Like, fucking living. Yeah. (laughs) These people are making rules about like who I can marry and like what, I don't know why I just said, well, yeah, like what commerce I can engage with and what I can do when and, you know, 
if if you do something wrong, like what the consequences are, like these, that's everything. Yeah. Literally yeah. the chemicals that you ingest in your food, like what you yeah. do in your body. And I, I think when we start to have these conversations and we start to get comfortable with these conversations, that's when people realize, oh my God, that is messed up. Like, why haven't we done anything about yeah. it? And that's when you segue that shit in like, hey, like this is a, uh, maybe a proposed policy that's been put on the table and then taken off the table. Like you can do something about this. And I, I truly think that politics is so, like everyone has a political issue that they should be passionate about. They don't always know it's a political issue. Like I am super passionate about sustainability and clothing, but there's so much politically that's ingrained with that, with lobbying. Um, I'm all about the legalization of pot because your girl loves weed. And the Joe Biden ending private prisons was a huge win for the towards the legalization of marijuana federally, or at the very least the decriminalization, because private prisons were one of the biggest lobbyists against the legalization of marijuana. Yeah. Yeah. To keep people in prison. So the business. there's always something and sometimes you have to help people relate to it. But once you get them there, that's where you see action and through action, we get progress. Well, and to your point, to, I have two thoughts. Like one, the Democrats have to do a better job of like actually creating change where people want it. Yeah. Weed or whatever. Like, these are things people want. Um, and then two, I've always loved that, and I might be wrong about this a little bit, but I've always loved that in the UK they call things like, um, they call things benefits, like, right? Like in theory, we are in a society, we are all paying taxes, whatever our tax rate is like, and we've decided we're signing the, the, the contract every year that we wanna live together as a society in the United States of America. What are the benefits this country is going to give me? We need to think of it that way. And the benefits are maybe healthcare, right? Universal healthcare. Plenty of other countries have done that. Maybe the benefits are public transit, uh, you know, roads that are maintained. Benefits could also include uh, universal uh, parental leave um, and $15 minimum wage. Like we need to, what are the benefits? What are we giving people? What are the benefits of being in the society, you know? That's a great yeah. way. Like that's an eye-opening way of looking about it because I've never thought about it. But the narrative in this country is anything that the government is paying for is yeah. bad. Other yeah. other than you know the military, like that's let's spend more true. on the military. But it's yeah. it's an eye-opening perspective because like what are we all supposed to do? We're all supposed to get better jobs with better benefits. We want our jobs to give us the benefits. Where. Yeah. Like you have to work for the benefits. Yeah, you have to work for it. You have to prostitute yourself for it, basically. Right. It's not just inherent in like being in this land. The richest country yeah. allegedly in the history of the world, right? Yeah. Like, it's, uh, crazy. it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. Right. I mean, and it goes it goes back as uh, like like I mean, what's one of the most iconic quotes ever from you know presidential inaugurations? Ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. Thank you, JFK. What the fuck? You know, it's like that's not like like that mentality, like even though he was a Democratic president, like that mentality exists of like, what how am I gonna serve America today? And I'm like, no, like, what are my no, let's keep, that quote, let's keep that quote, but put it to the billionaires who avoid paying taxes, who put their money <laughs> offshore. Yeah. 
Exactly. What the fuck are you doing? We do shit for this country all the time. Essential workers, right? Like we keep the engines going. Uh, the people who are paid minimum wage now, the essential workers, kept the kept this country going during the worst pandemic in a hundred years. Like we do plenty of shit for this country. I also think it's, sorry. it's crazy that like I was having this conversation the other day with my friends um, when we were on a socially distant walk with masks on that. Um, about healthcare and about like, we all re- I was just so crazy that like, we all have different, like I was talking about my, like my healthcare through my company and they just changed. I was blue cross. Now we're Aetna. And then it was just one of my friends like, Oh, I have really bad healthcare. I'm like the fact that we have like bad healthcare or good healthcare based upon your job or your like, and it, her job is no better or worse than mine, but her company just chooses it. It just, it, it, I was like, I like 10 minutes in talking about it. I was like, this is crazy that like you have bad healthcare and I have good healthcare. Like why? Her favorite kills me is, I just started seeing insurance commercials for Geico. You have to have insurance for your insurance. Basically, like no American insurance covers enough. And so you have to have insurance for the insurance of what it won't yeah. cover. So yeah. when your insurance doesn't cover it, you can get a thousand dollars from Geico, maybe. Or is it Geico? What's the one that does that? Affleck. 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 Yeah. yeah. I've seen the commercial. It's like, That's fucking mind blowing. Insurance for your insurance. It's like the inception movie of getting fucked. There's yeah. there's an entire industry and I will go back to the finance comment I made earlier in this recording is that when I was a finance major in college, I also was an insurance major and president of my school's insurance club because here's where I am. You are such a fucking nerd. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, I did win the student involvement award for insurance and that was a $5,000 check and a trip to Denver, but we won't talk about that. Um, But I, I, um, There's an entire insurance industry called reinsurance. So like Swiss Re, all these companies have these double offices for insurance, for your insurance, for your insurance to insulate yourself from protection. Like, so the companies are doubly and triple protected. You as people, if you have the money, can be quadruply protected. It's like, this is just bullshit. It's like this whole concept of like that we have to buy into all of these things and i know this podcast is about biden accountability but it's like but it's it, that's when we talk about it, it's like this is the problem that we have as democrats is that it's so hard for us to articulate the world we want to live in a lot of times because we've never lived in that world like and we just see that world emulated in other parts of the world and i will continue to recommend the book that i've been reading and i just God, one day, hope to finish it. The Nordic theory of everything, because I read one chapter and I need to take a fucking Xanax because it's like just learning about what goes on in other countries as benefits, as you describe them. It's not, it's not dependency on the government. It has nothing to do with dependency. It says, we're going to give you childcare so that you don't have to be dependent on us, so that you can focus on your career, so that you can lift. And I'm like, I'm like, the, just the mindset of the perspective, like here yeah. in the United States, when we fight for child health care, like it's the right thing to do. But like literally on their side, they're like, this just gives us the opportunity to like live, you know, it gives us the opportunity to like make sure we have the basic necessities, whether it's childcare, whether it's education, whether it's whatever. And I just like, when I think about holding Biden accountable, I'm like, I want him to make as much progress on these issues so that we can have a platform in 2024 that gets us closer to a Nordic style of living. I mean, like, of course those people, a lot of people in Nordic countries think that it's, too difficult for them and they feel like the government doesn't give them enough and like i get you know that but i like when i think about like 
just the bare fucking minimum. It gives people a chance to succeed somewhat, you know, the helping people get a house. Filing taxes is a genuine business. <laughs> Don't have me go there. Like, uh, I say this oh. as someone who also gets paid to file people's taxes, but the fact that it is a genuine business that generates billions of revenue a year is absolutely insane. Right. Like, I think there are like 3,600... 36 under other countries that do exact tax withheld which means you are on the dollar like the taxes that you that you rightfully should have withheld are withheld on the dollar no questions about it like it shouldn't be difficult for people to file taxes they shouldn't have to pay $50 to file plus $10 for audit insurance another $10 to talk to an expert it should be easy, but like we yeah. don't in the issue I've always had is I know you said that like, we've never witnessed this ideal America, but we've seen so many examples of what happens when you do things another way. Mm-hmm. There are yeah. hundreds of countries that show that, but we're just kind of like, and we just, well, you know, it's because we bought the lie. Like we keep getting told that this is the greatest country and we haven't left our country to go to Norway or anywhere else to see how they're living. And somebody may say, oh, well, in such and such country, this is how they do their taxes or they get paid maternity leave from the government. And somebody who's never been there and like they're just going to be like, well, you know, in my mind, this is still the greatest country and their country still must suck. So it must be because they get free shit from the government. Um this this whole country is just a fucking racket. Like, what is a racket? A racket is the mafia saying, you pay us to protect you from us beating the fuck out of you. That's why all of our money goes for the military. All of our, <laughs> all of our money goes to taxes so that Intuit can fucking lobby the government and Intuit, make literally. the whole fucking tax industry happen so that we have to pay fucking Intuit to do our taxes for us. Guys, we're getting so lib, and I just can't even handle it. I'm so excited. Sorry, like, Conrad, you were going to security card. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know if we're ending, but to end on a good note, I don't know. Andrew, what, what you just made me realize, like, okay, I grew up in a household in Fishtown. I grew up in Fishtown. I never had hummus until my mid-20s. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is going for I promise. Never had hummus until my mid-20s. Um, and, you know, YouTube came out in my 20s, too, right? And, like, you start to learn about the rest of the world. Has have most Americans left the country? Probably not. I've not left the country. Maybe you don't know that. I'm 35. Don't even have a passport. Never left the country. I want to soon. I will. I know that I have to grow as a human. It's a big thing, and I have the privilege maybe to do it. But but we live in this world that's way more connected. Food is more connected, right? Like now, my parents can have hummus when they come over for Christmas and Thanksgiving. They're eating the hummus. They love hummus now, right? It just wasn't a part of their life. The world wasn't as connected before. And now we have YouTube. And now my parents are voting for Bernie Sanders. They were always Democrats. Don't get me wrong. But now they're like left, left, left Democrats. They want universal everything, right? Um, because they hear, you know, my friend Danny is from Canada. She talks about how healthcare is up there. Up there is great. I learned things, you know, through news reports they see on YouTube that maybe you don't get on CNN or news up you know here about how things work in other countries you watch a documentary and i share that with my parents so i think andrew your point is right that like we've we bought the lie for generations and we had this after world war ii and the economic boom that came after because there was no one else producing anything in the rest of the world for the most part we lived in that little 
bubble of things were getting better for a lot of people, not everyone. Um, and the world wasn't as connected as it is now. So I'm hopeful that, that as the world gets more connected, as I think more Americans get more progressive and more left-leaning, which I think is true, um, that, that we close the gap on, on those benefits that we deserve. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Um, I, I mean, I, and I think that's why we see a lot of younger people and it's usually always been younger people who have been more progressive, but more so now is because the younger people are more tech savvy. And, you know, I say that as somebody who's, you know, basically one foot in the grave, as Erica likes to remind me constantly. You sound like such a boomer, like, oh, these tech savvy young. I know. No, we're and- taking it back on this podcast. Nobody's old. That's what, that's what we got to. <laughs> I mean, I think I'm the only one with a TikTok, so okay. I have a TikTok. It's just not very successful. <laughs> you got it. It'll get there, Erica. We're going to get you it'll, there. It'll, we believe in you. No, we don't. It's literally just my plants. So, oh. plant TikTok. Um, and I think I think that's that's right, and and that's why there has been acceleration because people are more connected. You can get on these platforms and talk to somebody in South Korea or wherever, um, you know. And that wasn't true for our parents, but I do think you want to end on a good note. And I I, I realize that, but I I do think like you know where you're saying your parents have gotten more left, mine have gotten more right because because of the internet. And because of the connected nature, and I think there's been more of that, you know, those two realities deepening um, because some people use that to gather more information and get outside of their world, um, even if they're not able to physically get outside of their world. Um, And others have used it to confirm their biases and double down on their information that they already think they know. Um, I still think by and large to end on a good note, we're headed in the right direction. Um, And things like Trump and things like, you know, what happened with wall street this week, like those things have exposed big problems in the country and made more people at least aware of them, which has, I feel on balance has been a good thing. I think it's better that the bandaid has been ripped open and we see there's still an open wound underneath rather than pretending that the wound isn't there because it's covered, which is what we've done for decades. And I think the left will win. I mean, look, the left is the party. When you look at the two of them, you, if you look at the right and, you know, banning gay marriage, banning abortion, uh, you know, creating no taxes so that the government can't do anything. It's all about, you know, rugged individualism. Whereas on the left, we're, we're, I think we better understand that we're in this together and we have to fight for each other. I think the left will win because our policies, when we do them, are about creating more economic equality across everyone, creating more opportunity, creating more freedom, creating more equality. Like, how can you be against that? And I think maybe, you know, if we start to do more of that shit, people will realize that we're the party and, you know, the ideology to be with, you know, go to the left. That's how you win. And also for the rights policies reduces their voter base. Mm -hmm. Like it's not a sustainable, um, it's not a sustainable model. And we've seen that throughout history where, you know, regimes that do come to power that are extremely far right haven't lasted. None of them have lasted. You guys well, are- nothing's lasted. 
Yeah. You guys are giving me so much hope. And what, what, can I say something? Yeah, go go ahead. Does Kirk feel like he's being silenced? I don't like being silenced by people. Um, but no, this is also the quietest you've ever been on a podcast. I know. I told you I had a really I had a really shitty day, but I know thanks, I, thanks, I like listening you know. to everyone. I want to let you know, and I want all the listeners to know that we love, care, and support about and support you all of Great. you. Great. Um, I, everyone keeps saying to end on a positive note. I have another positive note to end on. I guess we're ending. I don't know. But when it comes to Biden and being accountable, the one thing I do like, and this has nothing to do with us holding him accountable, I um, have been really fond of, I know it's only been like two weeks or three weeks, how long it's been, of their, this administration's Instagram presence. And I really like that they push out when something happens, like right before we got on the podcast, something else came out that they just signed. Like I like that they're um, doing that. I think it's really I mean, in the beginning, I was kind of like, oh, this is like, is it, are they doing it all for Instagram? Like, that's what it kind of looked like. It was like pictures of Kamala coming out, like in her suit, just like, which is great. But I think it's cool they're putting out there for everyone to see. Like, this is what happened today. Like, it's almost like we got like, a nice little update of um, what's happening. And I think like that's the way the world is now. We should be doing that. Like the other administration, I think it was more, they would do it in a way of like, it was at, at Trump rallies, he would just scream things he's done, but hasn't really done. Then he would post it on his Instagram or post it on his Twitter. But this way, this is like a nice sum up of what happened this week or this happened today, which I think is an effective way I of keeping it. I learned that from AOC. Remember when AOC got elected and you were like, she was like, my first day at the Capitol, here we go. And it was yeah. like the yeah. opening experience. Like, well, this is what it's like. Maybe they learned that from her. Yeah, it's smart. They should, they should learn more things from her. Yeah. yeah, I agree. I think, you know, like, obviously, you know, any politician that posts things on Instagram, we should always like make sure we're fact checking and, and referencing, but it does show, you know, that there's a stark difference between saying, here's what we did today. And one of, you know, Trump's templates in Canva and or Photoshop, whatever he was using, um, was his approval rating. So he would, you know, after a rally, it would be the picture of him with the thumbs up. And it would be 99% approval rating Republican Party. If Joe Biden ever posts anything like that, I will fucking lose my mind. But like it, it is encouraging. And I'll write in articles of impeachment. <laughs> well, you and Mallory or whatever. Her name I was a Marjorie Taylor Marjorie. Green already is trying to. Impeach. Oh yeah, day one she said I'm impeaching Joe Biden for obstruction of justice i forget exactly it, what it there was. was it was if you read it it's literally no reason it's just a bunch of english words strung together into a you know some sentence of some kind but you know i think it's a it's a really good point you know at first i kind of rolled my eyes but then i was like oh you know what like this instagram like i started following the potus instagram it's so refreshing rather mm -hmm. than you yeah. know getting getting the president tweeting at 1 a.m while he takes a fat shit on the toilet like <laughs> just his I hope they got new toilets in that white house for this, for <laughs> you, you really hope because it's like the most random thoughts of this deranged old man just like screaming into the void literally at 1 a.m every morning and then you know again at like 6 a.m after he's had his first bump of Adderall, like just fucking insane. And to have like, you know, a decent graphic, not some crazy Photoshop or like a retweeted QAnon meme. And it just is like, here's what we did today. That's amazing. Um, and to your point, Conrad, like I mean, AOC was on Twitch this afternoon talking about the stock market and her when she went on on Twitch with a bunch of big 
Twitch streamers and played Among Us. Like that was a major thing. And I think some people rolled their eyes on at that, but like, you know, again, that's making politics accessible. Here's yeah. a whole swath of the country. They play video games and they're online all the time and they're on YouTube and Twitch and all these other places and Reddit. And you go to them like, you know, like we should see that. We should see that from like the the president. I mean, when when the fireside chats on the radio first happened, that was groundbreaking because that was using a new medium. And we've right. stopped doing that since then. Like we need more of that. That is what is going to bring more people in is if you go to where people are rather than stay in D.C. I, yeah. I totally I totally agree. And I, you know, like I think about, you know, AOC as a great model for staying connected with constituents and supporters, because a lot of us are supporters. We're not constituents in the same lens that, yeah. you know, we can't vote for her um, or in the in the lens that we can't vote for her. But, you know, like AOC was a guest judge on Drag Race. And then she like will live post about the show when she has the time to watch it. And you're like, I wonder like which drag queen she's rooting for, you know, like there's like a, a curiosity and like an engagement with her that can't, hasn't been able to be replicated by politicians that have are a little bit more seasoned. Like they brought Nancy Pelosi on drag race and she was incredibly awkward and she was there for about five minutes. She wasn't like a guest judge and she was just sort of like, we all need to vote. And then just sort of like moved off the screen versus like you have AOC being like, it's just an honor to be here. I love seeing the artwork of these queer people. And it's like, I, I know that there are different politicians from very different times, but when like, what I what I want to say is like all of the things that we have talked about as it relates to Biden accountability, as it relates to like like what we need to do, like the way that the five of us just talked was there was so much hope. Like we are talking about things that when we recorded in September, there was no even like way we would have referenced these things if not for campaign talking points, right? You know, of just like Biden wants to do this, so we want to vote for him, right? But like the actual dreaming of the possibility that it could happen i think just like shows what what how amazing the power of organizing is and and bringing people together for a common cause is that we can have a more like positive hopeful and productive conversation i still believe we need massive electoral reform in order to ensure that progressives can actually move america where we want but that's my, you know, negative. But overall, I feel like it's it's just so amazing to have a conversation that's a little bit more hopeful, although skeptical, a little bit more hopeful than anything that we would have had four or five months ago, you know, because it was like pure survival mode, you know, back then. Yeah. And I we can't lose that hope. Yeah. Good skepticism is good, but we can't lose that hope because, look, Biden's going to do stuff we don't like. Right. Like he's not going to go for universal health care, most likely. We'll probably go for a public option maybe and not even get that um he's gonna do things we don't like but you know we have to keep our eye on the ball and and really celebrate the wins we do get um and you know have that help us through the next two years four years when we can keep electing more people like aoc the other thing about aoc is not only is she progressive but she's young we need more young people in congress like they're all so like i'm not an ageist or anything like I, and i don't believe in term limits either because look Bernie and Warren are two of my favorite people, and I want them there for the rest of their lives, you know, but um, statistically speaking, the Senate skews much older, much richer than the rest of the country, and it's not reflective, uh, and obviously white and male, 
Um, and that's not reflective of the country we are. You know, if we had a Congress and that was reflective of our country, I think they would do the work of the for the country. You know, agreed. Yeah, there'd Long be term. one single rich person if we were going off of the numbers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Agreed. Any kind of final thoughts that you guys have on Biden accountability? Um, I don't. I feel like we've we've hit it. You know, there's ways to do it. Uh, we're going to be doing it. We're going to be posting about it. Really fun. You're never going to have me on because all the time I'm on here, we're on. We talk for five hours. I'm so sorry. Spend three hours. With me. You've now spent a total of a whole workday with us. So, <laughs> did you not get my last invoice? I'll send it again. Oh yeah. <laughs> this has been another episode of Let's Unpack That. Thank you, Conrad. Talk to you guys later. We'll talk later. Bye.